Now I'm going to begin today with an experiment and an experience, okay? Uh, and it just so happens at this Mass, it didn't happen at the first Mass, but I need to get a little um, support here. So could you come forward with me right now? Yeah. Just right up here. <laughs> if you could stand right here, and if you could turn around. Da 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 da! Ha. Oh, for God's sake, what's the matter with you? We're right down in the shadow of the Dodger Stadium. Da 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 da! Oh, what weak fans you are. You're supposed to be strong and powerful. One more time, prove yourself. Da 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 da! Okay, thank you. Give the man a hand there. <laughs> what you just witnessed is ritual. Ritual is a series of words or actions or a combination of both that cause something to happen to us. And just think of this there's an organist over there that plays an organ at Dodger Stadium. Six notes. Da 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 da. Da, da. And the whole crowd, well, that crowd shouts charge. And I realize you're in church, you say, what are we doing here? But what's, what, what is the crazy man asking of us today? But the point is, ritual is a very powerful thing. We use it all the time. Um, now, this is a weird one. I, I need somebody kind of young, uh, well, maybe not so young, but somebody who understands the culture. Let me see. Marilyn, you'll get it, I think. Come on up here for a moment. Now, first we're going to be French, okay? She and I are both people from France, and I go, Marilyn, how do you, oh, mm, mm. that's ritual. Here's an American way. Youth do it. Hey. Wait. There, thank you, thank you, yes. And ritual changes. Now, the French have been kissing on both cheeks for years, but, but the youth do all this stuff with their hands and everything. When I was a kid, we just shook hands. But now you have to do all kinds of stuff. But ritual is powerful because usually, and when it is commonly understood and commonly practiced, it instantaneously creates an effect. So when Dodgers go, and especially, let's make this even more powerful, it's the playoffs. And the Dodgers are, are thought they're going to be winning or maybe not, and we've really got to give them some power. Or it's the World Series. Well, I'll tell you, when the organ plays da-da-da-da-da, the people go crazy. And you can feel the ground almost shake as they're encouraging their Dodgers to win. And what does it do to the team? Can you imagine can you imagine you're the pitcher at the mound and they shout da 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 and then they shout charge. What happened, the charge that goes into you, it's the power of ritual. Well, every religion has ritual too. And our church is loaded with it. And the most important ritual that we practice that congregates us all together is the Mass, the Eucharist. And today we have the famous story from Emmaus. The first two readings speak about the meaning of who Christ is and what he did in our life and what they did to him on that cross, but what that accomplished for us. But in the Emmaus story, 
And it's only in Luke's gospel we get this incredible narrative. And without giving every detail again, uh, it's important to appreciate a couple of things. There were these two disciples. This is Easter morning, this account. It's Easter, well, Easter day. And um, already the women went to the tomb, and they were the first ones to discover an empty tomb, and they were shocked. And, in fact, in one of the accounts, they, they thought he, somebody stole the body. But then they experienced these two angelic presences who revealed to them that he has risen from the dead and that they, the women, should go back to the apostles and tell them. So they do, Easter morning. So in one of the accounts, they get there and Peter and John run to the tomb to check it out for themselves and they find the same thing. They didn't see the resurrection, they saw the empty tomb and they heard the story from the angelic presences that he was raised from the dead. So the word goes out. Now, later that day, these two disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about seven miles. And then something happens. As they're walking, suddenly Jesus comes out of nowhere and is walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And the scriptures don't help us at all. Why don't they recognize him? Um, did the resurrection change his appearance? Was his face different? Was he taller? Was he shorter? Or what? Um, when I was first ordained back in 1976, they sent me to San Marino. And um, when I came here, uh, shortly after I was here, one of the sisters died and, and I did the services. And some couple came from San Marino, either she or he grew up here and was uh, in our school with these sisters and then they left um, and went to San Marino. They knew me there, but I had a full head of hair and these big big black dorky glasses that I wore, and so they recognized me. But when I got here, I had no hair and I didn't have my glasses. So the people came in, they didn't have a clue who I, who I was at first. They saw me. I walked down the aisle right next to them, they saw me. But it wasn't until I opened my mouth and spoke. In the name of the Father, it's Father Perry. They recognized my voice instantly. Our voices don't change that much over time. So even if they didn't recognize his face and his body, they didn't recognize his voice. And they walked for five, six, seven miles together, and he talked to them, he shared the scriptures, he even challenged them, don't you understand yet? And he told them everything that applied to him, and he still didn't know who he was. Now Luke, perhaps, in this story, is building, building to a high climactic point that us to see in the story, but also to see as true in our own lives. So, they get to Emmaus, and um, it's late, and Jews were very hospitable people, and they would never turn you out from their house without feeding you and, and making you comfortable for the night if it was late. So Jesus pretended that he was going further, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's late, it's almost dark, why don't you stay and, and you know, have something to eat? Then the miraculous moment. He takes some bread. That's normal. He blessed it. Everybody blessed their bread. He broke it and gave it to them, and boom! In an instant, what happened four nights before on, on Holy Thursday, our Holy Thursday, he blessed and broke the bread and gave it to them. And it was in the breaking of the bread, which, by the way, the early experience of Eucharist wasn't called Eucharist, it was called the breaking of the bread. And in the Acts of the Apostles it says, they all gathered each other's homes to break the bread. Because that was the ritual that Jesus gave them to remember me. 
He gathered them. He said, this is my body. Eat it. Broke it. Gave it to them. And they ate. That ritual, that ritual is the main reason here right now. That ritual is what gathers us. The only day that it gathers the whole community is on Sunday. People come during the week, but Sunday is our gathering day for the breaking of the bread, for the Eucharist. And in the breaking of the bread, we are asked to believe, really, that Jesus Christ gives himself to us. And it is so simple, really so obvious, this ritual. Uh, it's, it's, it's as obvious as the da-da-da-da-da charge that we would scream out a word and that, believe that that word would do something, that that word would energize the team, that that word would push them on to possible victory, that that word would make us all one in this moment. It's incredible what a single word will do. But in this breaking of the bread and eating this bread, we are told by Christ, do this in memory of me. I will be with you. I will feed you. Now, the, the brilliant question of the day, what happens if we didn't eat any food for, let's say, seven months? What? We die. Our bodies need food. Okay? Well, so does our spirit. Do you think our spirits grow and develop and deepen if we don't attend to them? If we don't ask the Lord to be with us, does it mean he isn't with us? No, it just means we don't even recognize it. Is it possible that we could walk for seven miles talking about the Lord and not meet the Lord? Is it possible that we could come here to Eucharist, celebrate the Eucharist, eat the Eucharist, but not recognize the Lord and not really receive him? Oh, we would receive him. But would we receive him? So that when we do this ritual, are we really letting God more deeply into our life? Do we experience it? Are we fed? Are we fed and nourished? That's the whole purpose of this Eucharist. Today, uh, this third Sunday of Easter, we're drawing closer and closer to Pentecost. And being fed again and again and again, we reach out for that day when we celebrate a past event around 2,000 years ago of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the early church. And actually, you know, we believe that it happens every time, especially as we cry out for it, charge. If, if we ask, we receive. If you and I say in our prayer or any moment during the day, Lord, give me your spirit, fill me. Do you think God says, nah, I don't think I'm up for that today. Uh, well, not really. Uh, don't bother. Come back another day. Of course God pours out his spirit. Even when we sin, even when we're ignoring God, the moment we turn to God, God is there for us. I mean, if you don't believe that, don't believe me, but, but I believe that with all my heart. There's never a time when God refuses us, ever. It, it can't be. God is love. And, and like the scriptures say at one point, if, if would any of you, if your son asked for a, a piece of bread, you'd give him a snake? Asked you for a fish, you'd give him a scorpion? And if you who are sinners would never do that to your child, what more about God? Would he ever do anything except love us and grace us and bless us and fill us? Pour his spirit all over us and into us? So today we come again and 
We come to receive this Eucharist, to open our hearts and our lives to the presence of Christ. And we come so that he can feed us, feed our spirit. But in addition to that today, we get this special gift, the little Israel here, who will be baptized. Because he won't be receiving communion yet, of course. He'll spend two years preparing for that great moment. Like all the children yesterday that received confirmation, the ones who in May are going to receive their first communion. But he comes here to be baptized, to be welcomed to the church. And he's probably been to church many, many a time. But this is a remarkable moment because this is the moment when we, in ritual, say, Israel, welcome. You're one of us now. You belong to us in Christ. You're our brother, and we're your brothers and sisters. So I'm going to go over there to bless the water with just a moment, okay? And then I'll come back and renew our promises of faith and make those promises for Israel for the first time in his life.